This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 276. And the quote of the day is, well, it's actually less of a quote, more of a process. And this is the creative process in six steps. One, this is awesome. Two, this is tricky. Three, this is crap. Four, I am crap. Five, this might be okay. Six, this is awesome. Listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummers Resource Podcast, session 276. Quick note, don't forget that you can get a free six-month subscription for Drum Magazine. All you have to do is go to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine, and you can sign up. You can get the free print and digital in the United States, digital only uh, outside of the United States, but you can do that. It's just a free gift from them, so it's a, not a advertisement or a promo or anything like that. Just go to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine, and it's all yours, 100% free for six months, so you can check it out. Now, I'm going to get into this conversation that I had today with Scott Amendola. Now, Scott is, this is a really cool interview for me. I just moved to the San Francisco area, and from New Jersey and Scott originally is from New Jersey and moved out to San Francisco a while back. He moved here in the nineties, but he is a staple in the San Francisco music scene. So for me, one, I love Scott and his playing, but two, to meet someone who's so integral in this this music scene that I've, I've just moved to is really awesome. Now, I can tell you all the people who he's played with, and that would take me hours. So let me just hit on a couple highlights. In the 90s, he was a member of TJ Kirk with Charlie Hunter, Will Bernard, and John Schott. They were nominated for a Grammy Award. He has played with John Schofield. He's been playing with Charlie Hunter for over a decade and he has Amendola versus Blades which is him and Will Blades an organ player they have an awesome duo together uh, he's just he's he works on so many different projects he's starting to get into playing solo and just playing drums and experimenting with different sounds which we talk a lot about in the conversation so just he is extremely busy he has worked with so many great people so it was an honor for him to take some time out of his schedule to allow me to come to his house to welcome him to his studio and have a great conversation so i'm gonna stop talking and i'm gonna get into this conversation that i had with the one and only scott amendola so we are, where are, we're in Berkeley. Berkeley. We are in Berkeley, California. I'm in Scott's, uh, this studio is cool, man. We were just talking about it. So you built this, Yeah. you built this studio from scratch yep. and I've, I've actually never had, I've never had a place where I could walk outside of my house and go practice. Mm-hmm. So it's always been like, I got to drive to a studio yeah. or like, you know, when I, when I was in Hoboken, I had to walk to, walk to a studio. But it's got to be nice to just be able to walk outside your house and just get right into the studio. It is. It's pretty great to come here and be able to work and focus and, you know, yeah. And it's, you know, I just started doing some recording here. I was very reluctant to go down that path for a long time. Uh, like the, the remote recording just kind of stuff? Just a little Pro Tools set up, you know, yeah. because it seems like these days people want to, you know, they'll send you tracks and you can put you know just do it at home mm-hmm. and i've it seems like pro tools has become a lot easier and and um but you know recording drums is tricky yeah so when we built this um obviously i had 
practicing and rehearsing in here in mind and and I talked to a bunch of people and we put it together pretty well and it sounds good in here people mm -hmm. seem to be happy in here nice. and the drums I've I've got some great drum sounds in here and you know so, so were you worried about not being able to get good drum sounds or or just not knowing pro tools well enough to be able to figure it out kind of both of those things yeah. because you know, like if you're like, I mean, so many people that we know, you know, guitar players, even singers, keyboard players, almost any other instrument, it's like one input, maybe. Right. You know, where with drums, I mean, I have the capability, I think I have like eight inputs I can use. And, um, but I have a nice setup that's got about five right now and or six. And it sounds great. But you know, it's still, you got to spend some money to kind of get it yeah. going. And you're just like, oh, is this going to work? You know, <laughs> is anybody going to pay me to do Yeah, that? exactly. Exactly. But I've done a bunch of projects and they, it sounds great. And I've had some, well, plus you can do your own stuff in here too. And you don't have to go somewhere else to do it. Right. Exactly. And and that's sort of what I'm, you know, I want to start working on some recording where it's, I'm doing everything and I'm not exactly sure what that's going to mean yet in terms right. of like what kind of record it's going to be. Like, could me. you put a, do you think you could put a trio in here and record it? Well, that, that's another thing. Well, I have a duo, I have a couple duos, mm -hmm. one with Charlie Hunter yeah. and one with Will Blades mm -hmm. and, and Will lives here and for sure our next record, um, I want to do it here. Nice. Um, in duo and, you know, have someone come in to help engineer it. But ultimately, yeah, the idea of being able to just set up in here, get some sounds, and then spend a lot of time. I mean, there's, you know, it's interesting when you think about that, because if you, I've, you know, I've always had, you know, you go in a studio, you have two days, three days, five days, whatever. You know, if you open up the can of worms where it's, you have a lot of time, I'm just wondering. Is it going to be too, Yeah, you know, is it going to be too much? Yeah, is it going to, you know. But um, you may have to time box it. Exactly, you, just, listen, you know. Listen, man, we got we got two days and just come in and do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, tell Will he has to leave. Yeah, right. Out of here, man. Yeah, you got to get you out. Because the another project, what I was saying is like this solo project where I play everything and musically, I'm not exactly sure what everything will be other than drums and you know, I mean, I play little bass, little guitar. I mean, but conceptually, I mean, most of my, my records have all been instrumental mm -hmm. music, except for one track on um, one of my records. Um, but, and I love certain vocalists and, you know, so maybe something would call for vocalism, which, you know, I just send them the tracks. Right. Now. I mean, right. Sure. You know, so, um, yeah, just to get, to get creative um, in terms of recording and come up with some cool beats and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, Gonna want to explore that. Yeah, it's cool. That, I mean, it's it's. I'm jealous. I mean, it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool that you have this space. I mean, I'm, I'll take a picture of it. You know, so if you don't mind, then yeah, we can show the show the listeners because it's just it has a good feel. It has a nice vibe to it, and you know, it's not like. I mean, some people's studios are like super dingy, and uh -huh. I mean, this is nice. Yeah, you got some big, you know, nice window, and like, yeah, it's cool. yeah. I like, I, I just I wanted light. I wanted to, you know, I don't want to walk into a cave. Yeah, yeah. You know? I agree, um, and. So yeah, I want to sort of feel a certain way when I when you come in here. So cool, I'm glad that makes that sense. feels yeah. that way. Feels good. So I want to I want to get a little bit of backstory I, because you are I mean you're a staple in this area now. I mean you are I've I've heard so many people say that like you you kind of anchor this whole scene and everyone knows who you are in this area. Um, but it wasn't always like that because you're not originally from here. No. You're from Tenafly, New Jersey. Yes. Um, I'm from Hoboken. So, or I'm not from Hoboken, <laughs> right. but I just moved from Hoboken. You put in so your time. I, yeah, I, yeah, I put in my Jersey time. It's funny because I'm like, I'm, I should be like predispositioned to hate New Jersey because I'm right. from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I, when I first 
was thinking about moving to Jersey. And I was like, eh, I never. And now, man, I moved there. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely. And to me, now it feels like home. You uh-huh. know. So when I say home, yeah, I'm not referring to Philly. I'm referring to, to, to New Jersey yeah, to Hoboken. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, so it's, it's beautiful there. It's it really is. You know. Yeah. And it's so close to New York City. And if you really want to, that's as a kid growing up there, I just spent you know a lot of time in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a it was a really beautiful place to grow up, and and it was great. You know, but getting as I got older, getting to spend a lot of time in New York and hear so much music was was huge for me. Right. You know. Yeah. So how did it start for you? How did you get How did you get playing? Well, I my mom says when I was like eighteen months old, I just started you know picking up chopsticks and putting stuff around me and just banging on whatever I could. And um, but my grandfather uh, was a guitar player in New York City. Mm-hmm. He played on the Tonight Show. Played with uh, when Steve Allen was a host. Oh wow, yeah. Played with um, you know Louis Armstrong, Frank Sinatra. He was a session guy, and um, and he toured a bit. But um, so and we were very close. So uh, so as I but I, I just was you know like a lot of us just really drawn to music and to drumming. Mm-hmm. And um, so I took the drums up in third grade, you know, and did all that. And then starting like I think in like later like in fifth grade. I was even in a band with a bunch of guys, and then I got kicked out of the band. <laughs> it was really hilarious because this friend <laughs> this, of mine. This I gotta hear. This is so funny because we were in this band, and this this one kid. We'd go to this kid's house, and this kid lived in this house. It's this really big house, and um, he had like it was him and his mom, and then there was a guy who was living in like this bottom part apartment in the house. He was a percussionist, and he had this like huge percussion setup. So like we would and we would during the like kind of the weekend we would go there, and he would let us play his percussion and nice. his kids. So we would play and stuff. And but then um, I remember talking to this one friend about. I was like, "When's the next rehearsal?" He's like, "You're out of the band, man." And I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, you don't make the rehearsals." And I'm like, "Well, you never tell me when the rehearsals are." <laughs> And it's true, they wouldn't tell me when the rehearsals were. Serious but, business. Yeah, but that same guy that kicked me out a year later when we were in middle school, we started a band. Nice. And um, so, you know, I mean, I just it was like in my just in my DNA, just playing music, and mm-hmm. and um, so then in seventh grade, I um, my my grandfather actually I should backtrack a little bit because I wanted to take drum lessons drum set lessons my right. grandfather when I was nine said you need two years of piano first so I took two years of piano lessons which I really didn't like mm-hmm. um, and, and you, know, you know what I mean I'd like, I'd I did like, nine yeah oh nine wow so I'd practice the piano and then I'd like run downstairs and start banging on whatever drums I had you know um and then in middle school, I, you know, I wanted a teacher, and then he suggested Sonny Igo. Mm. You probably know yeah, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, Tommy, Tommy's dad. So, so I, I, I studied with with Sonny from seventh grade through high school. Wow! And I met Tommy when you know. And he was a he's a, a stickler, right? He was, Sonny, oh yeah, yeah, he was a tough teacher. Sonny, from what I've heard, he was, but what's uh, really, in a good way. But. Yeah, no, he had his thing, and I really liked his thing. But like, I wanted to learn match grip, and he was fine with that. But we worked on reading. We it was big band charts and swing. But he, it's really funny because you know I was really into all kinds of music and like Miles, and mm. you know Miles was still around then, and Pat Metheny and stuff. And I remember. Um, I came into a lesson. I was wearing a, like a Miles Davis T-shirt after I'd saw him, and he looked at me. He's like, "Miles ruined jazz," and I was like, kind of blew my mind because I really respected Sonny, but I understood his perspective on it because he was, 
you know, he was an, an old school big band jazz guy. Yeah. And he loved Buddy. Buddy Rich was it for him. Like, I remember saying, so, do you ever hear, hear this record, uh, Rich versus Roach? And he's like, yeah, Rich won. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <clears throat> he just loved Buddy Rich. And it was fun. Like, you know, I there's, a, there's some really important foundational things I learned from Sonny about time and feel and pulse and um, technique um, and rudiments and... Um, but just playing along and chart reading was his big thing, you know, mm-hmm. but just playing along to these records and learning about being able to anchor a band, right. you know, because as much as he was into Buddy Rich, the thing about Sonny to me was he knew how to anchor a band. And my grandfather, who played with all these guys, and he loved Buddy Rich, but he loved Louis Belson, and he played with Dave. Dave Tuff was his favorite drummer, you yeah. know, Dave yeah, Tuff, yeah, like, course. you know, and we would, my grandfather and I would play a lot together. And so I really learned about that aspect of anchoring and laying down a groove for a band. And Sonny, I mean, in terms of that kind of playing, did it so well, you know. Which is interesting because I feel like there's two schools of thought mm-hmm. with Buddy Rich. Mm-hmm. Because some people think that he was a great big band drummer, but he wasn't very musical. Mm-hmm. And then there's other guys who were like, he's the, you know, sort of the end-all, be-all. Right. And for someone to, you know, to... To really be able to to anchor that band and play really musically, right, and then have but also have that you know the dichotomy of of the stuff that what people thought about Buddy Rich, right, you know. Well, if you listen to those records, those Charlie Parker records with Buddy Rich, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's my favorite Buddy Rich stuff. Yeah, you know, small group playing where he's swinging his butt off, obviously soloing his butt and off. I, I think it got to the point where. You know, he was like, it became entertainment, Mm -hmm. and he has blazing chops. So, I mean, that's like, I feel like after a while, that's what people went to see. It's a show. Yeah. Right? It was a show. He could do that other thing, but yeah, I agree. It was, he was making a living as an entertainer, like you said. Right. And it was a show, you know? Um, (laughs) And he was a showman. He was a showman. He did a really good job at that. Yeah. Right. Um, so with Sonny, you know, it was it was really great. And but I always listen to I mean, I listen to all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, you know, with Sonny, like, oh, you know, this is the thing with him. But and and um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was like six years of studying with him, which was great. But then I had like I was in a band in high school playing fusion. We were playing like Steps Ahead and right. some Chick Corea music and, um, you know, like uh, David Sanborn music mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you know. Um, but. Uh, and then rock music too. I mean, right. I, I grew up listening to ACDC and metal and Zeppelin and, and pop music. I mean, I've always liked all kinds of music and I'd go to New York and hear like Michelle Camilo and, you know, um, I mean, I was really into Dave Weckl and, and that whole thing and Vinnie Caliuta, but I was also hugely into Gad. I actually took a lesson with Weckl. Um, I got to know him, my high school band director, um, went to college with him. And oh, um, nice. when I was a senior, Chick Corea was playing in Englewood, New Jersey, you mm-hmm. know, and he took me to the sound check and to the That's show. Where, who, who, uh, Billy Martin lives there. Yeah, Billy Martin yeah. lives there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I got to meet Dave and this is this is the 80s. So right. in order to stay in touch with somebody, there was two ways you had it, which was the telephone <laughs> or writing letters. Yeah. And like, you know, Dave was super nice and I would we would like write letters back and forth. And um and then I remember he wrote me this letter saying, like, hey, man, I'm going to be... Because I kept asking him for a lesson. He's like... And I'd gone to... I went to college at this point. I was at Berkeley. And I said, hey, uh, 
he wrote me saying, hey, I'm going to be home for, I'm taking like some time off and, you know, and some people have been bugging me for lessons. Is that where he's from? He's from St. Louis. Okay. But I mean, he, is that where he lived in Englewood? Uh, no, he lived, Englewood? he was playing in Englewood with Chick. Okay. But I still call it, I always call it Englewood. Englewood, right. Like California. California I, right. But my wife's always like, it's Englewood. I'm like, all right, I'm not Englewood, from, right. I'm not from Jersey. Sorry. Don't give me shit. Yeah. Um, but, uh. He was living in, in New York. Uh, I can't remember exactly where. Like, just upstate a little bit. You know? okay. Not too far out of the yeah. city. And not too far from where I was. So, so I actually flew home and went to his house and spent three hours with him, which was, which was great. You know, it's really focused. And, and I learned a lot. He had a lot of really great things to say. And he showed me some, a technique thing that was really important because I was playing matched grip. But he showed me French grip with his right hand. And... That ended up really changing things for me technique-wise. Right. Um, which we can talk about. I mean, I don't know if yeah, you can talk about Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so that was, and I was, so basically after high school, I went to Berkeley and um, College of Music. And uh, and yeah, and then I, I had that lesson with Dave, which was really fantastic. And um, I mean, I was sort of drifting away musically from a lot of that fusion-y stuff in a way. Right. Um, and... Um, Kind of, I mean, I've been, like I said, I listened to a lot of music, different kinds of music. And I was listening to a lot of jazz, listened to a lot of Jack DeJanette, Keith Jarrett Trio, and just older jazz. I was really into Mahmoud Jamal. And, yeah. Um, but again, but listening to a lot of funk, a lot of Afrobeat music. I mean, I mean, for, for a lot of us, you know, you think about the amount of music that's out there and, you know, that we have access to and started having more access to. Right. You know, um, I liked it a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So... So uh, it's it's an interesting it's interesting because some people you know go down one road and they're like mm-hmm. I'm a jazz guy or this or but I relate to what you're saying about liking everything like mm-hmm. on the way here I was listening to a go go like the John Schofield record yeah. right but on the way home I'll probably listen to like Jay Z right or so, I mean I listen to I like everything though mm-hmm. and you know everything the only, I'm, I'm not a huge metal guy mm-hmm. um, but like I, I just find. I find art and I, I find beauty in all that stuff, whether it's singer songwriter stuff right. or like super fun, like the meters to Jay Z. You know, yeah, whatever. yeah, sure. And then I think that 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 goes into your playing. So when you're, you know, whatever whatever you're playing, it's going to give that. It's going to give you your own vibe. Yeah, I mean, you you know, I think the point is to find your voice and find out who you are. And I've I've had times Nels Klein and I've spoken about this where it's where we've both felt like, man, I have to quit music because I'm just too weird. I like too many weird things and <laughs> and I don't know where I belong in a way. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like for I'll give you like interesting in, interestingly, um, and in I guess it was a uh, nine uh, eighty nine, I was home um, between semesters at Berkeley and I went to the Blue Note to hear Michelle Camilo mm-hmm. and. Um, and I got befriended Michael Bowie, who was playing bass with them at the time. And we were talking, and apparently Joel Rosenblatt was leaving. And 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 so the next night I went back, and I had this tape of uh, a, sort of a demo tape I'd put together. Um, just And I can't remember why I put it together it's from school, but it had some a couple of tracks of this piano trio playing music, just like Michelle Camilo's trio. So I gave it to him, and just, you know, I mean, I was like, I'm here, man. I was like, you know, I'm... Why not? Just right. check this out. Of course. So, so then he called me. Michael called me and said, "Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this to Michelle." So I was like, "Oh, okay." So then, about three days later, Michelle called me to audition, and I'm 20 years old, and I had, I had gone to see that trio at this club called McKell's in on uh, 96 and Broadway in New York when I was 
high school, mm-hmm. and they played all the time. It's kind of where Michelle kind of made his made his name, right? You know, and it was Anthony Jackson and Weckl most of the time, and then then Joel Rosenblatt played and Zach Danziger. But actually, this was maybe before Zach. Um, but uh, so so he called me and and he was auditioning a bunch of people, and he's like, "Like me to come down?" And he said to check this music out. So. I was in my basement listening, and I had a like week and a half to prepare. Right. So I was listening to his records and working on these tunes, and and I would just realized that I had sort of drifted away from a certain thing that they were doing, and and drifting more towards a different kind of drumming in a way, like you know, there, I, I don't really know how to put it into words in a way, but like listening to to Alvin and Jack and Roy Haynes and getting a little more into that aspect of jazz, the sort of pushing jazz and a little less into the contemporary sort of fusiony thing like like that that Dave was doing or Joel was doing and and um there was a sort of loose aspect like Billy Higgins and and then also listening to some, you know, Sonny Murray or um uh, Paul Motion a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. I just sort of just discovered a little bit of Paul Motion, and um, so I was, you know, because you know part, when you're auditioning for a gig like that, you're thinking like, man, I got to sound like that. I got to yeah. sound like that record. And I just realized also that I couldn't. I didn't really play like that, mm-hmm. you know. As much as you might like something and think that you're good at it, then you realize like, you know what, I'm not. Right. That's not. I can't do that. It's not really natural. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. So so I just learned the songs and just sort of started putting my own thing on it. And I went to the audition, and it was super fun. Like those guys were so nice. Michelle was so nice, and um, and I just played. Like mm-hmm. I just went in and just played and um, and had a great time. Pretty much figuring I wouldn't get get the gig, and because if I did, I was leaving school and that was it. Right. But not caring like that wasn't that didn't matter to me because you know one of the things that i've learned and actually think about especially since i teach now too and talk about with students is like you know it takes a long time to get good anything yeah but if you're even you know even if you practice 12 hours a day like i did you know and for years it's like you know you're gonna get good and find yourself once you get start doing it a lot and mm-hmm. also really figuring out what that is and it could take a long time but i think i think getting really good at music it just it takes a long time yeah you know i was going to ask is there is there a way to that you suggest people find their sound find their voice or do you think it just comes with time well i think i think you have to want to right you know which sounds kind of weird but like one of the one of the people I met early on when I moved here, believe it or not, was Joey Barron, and I love Joey's playing. And there's a guy that's got a stamp, yeah. you know, yeah, he's yeah. super unique. And um, just talking to him about stuff like that was always interesting, and and just realizing that, like, you know, watching him play and listening to him and just hanging out with him and just seeing like he has his own perspective on things, and he's found that world. It's like you know, sometimes we think we need to know everything so we can play with everybody. And I think there's a part, a point when you let go of things like that, like thinking like, oh, everybody has to like me. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, for example, it was really fun playing with Michelle. And I think I brought something different to to that situation. And Michael, after after the audition, we talked on the phone. And the guy that got the gig was Cliff Almond, who mm-hmm. was actually a, a student of Dave's and mm-hmm. just sounded amazing and sounded pretty much like Dave would play it or Joel. Um, 
And that's what Michelle was really looking for. Right. But Michael's like, you know, Michelle, if he couldn't do it for some reason, which of course he could, like Michelle was going to call you. And I was like, no way. He's like, yeah, he really liked what you brought to the thing. And I found that interesting and also like it was cool, that, right. you know, and right. inspiring. Like, okay, because I left that audition feeling like, you know, I okay, I, now I know I got to just start going in this direction. But it's because I was... I think able to just like leave things behind and just it's like not care if I got that gig. Right. You know, it's it's like being willing to take to be patient mm -hmm. and and, you know, hope that you hope that you connect with people. Um, I also think it's important to I mean, one of my goals was to connect with my peers. And I think that's that was an important thing for me. And I think. You know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. know, you can reach for gigs and try to, you know, playing with Michelle and Michael were like older than me and people that I really admired and, and stuff. And it would be would have been great if I got that gig. But to connect with people that are your peers um, and help develop who you are and who they are, that process, like when I met Charlie Hunter or I met Nels Klein, who's older than me, but who like is someone who really has an identifiable thing and he saw something in me and he kind of, he mentored me. Right. You know, um, still kind of mentors me, you know what I mean? Like, like those relationships, but we're peers. Mm -hmm. But now as I'm older, like connecting with, like, you know, I've played with Bill Frizzell and John Schofield and, you know, those guys treat me like a peer. Mm -hmm. And you hope that over time, you, when you make these connections, that it feels like that, you know? Right. Even though I have so much respect and I look... I look up to them, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean, so I think finding your voice and finding your sound is 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 about wanting to, to do that and about not worrying about, you know, what that leads to in terms of, like, gigs you get and gigs right. you don't get. Something doesn't work, acknowledge it. And mm -hmm. just be like, all right, this this is just not meant to be, you know. There was a, there was a time in my career when... I was like, you know, like if you go on YouTube and you see all these people with all these blazing chops and I was kind of like, man, I like, I gotta, I gotta shed all that stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I get all, all this stuff between my hands, my feet. Mm -hmm. And then I did it for a while and I was like, I don't like this. Right. <laughs> I don't need this. Yeah. And I like, I sort of know the player that I'm not that I can't get better. I'm not saying that, sure. but I was like, you know, I, I don't. I want to do my own thing. I want to, mm -hmm. this is what I want to play. This right. is what I want to focus on. I don't need to play, you know, like sixes between my feet and all, like or yeah, all this crazy yeah. stuff, which is okay if you do that, but it just wasn't coming naturally to me right. on any level. And I was just like, maybe that's just not me, right. you know? And so I guess, and the question tied into this too, is when you're saying about, everyone liking you or trying to get everyone liking you are you talking about the difference between being a generalist and a specialist or more saying hey this is me and this is my voice and this is sort of what i do mm -hmm. it may fit with your project or with your artistic uh vision or it may not right exactly is that i, what you're I think saying? that's what it is it's like you know because ultimately when when you sit behind the drums like you're nick Mm -hmm. And you're going to play your thing. I'm sort of like Nick trying to sound like Steve, <laughs> like Steve Gadd or something. Yeah, but it's, it's, I hear you. But it's still Nick, you know what I mean? Right, right. And like, because we, you know, and so that's what they get. That's what people get. And, you know, people are going to enjoy that. And then some people are going to maybe going to be like, well, you know, I don't know if that's working for me, you know? Right. And it's like that, you know, I've there's there's times when people have hired me and we've, work together and it's like hey this is and it's not it's you know i've never been 
gotten weird or ugly or like, you know, it's just like, hey, this is what I do. Right. You know, if you want to hire me, like if someone hires me, that's what they get. And if it doesn't work, you know, we tried, mm-hmm. you know, and and I mean, there's no question whenever any situation I'm in, I'm just tr- trying to do the best I can, make the music as best I can, trying to listen and, you know, hopefully um, if people are open to my ideas, give ideas and, you know, um, just try. I mean, the the main goal whenever I sit behind the drums is to make the best music I can make. Right. And depending on whatever the drumming is involved in that. For example, I was making this record last summer with the singer Chris Williamson, who's this really amazing folk singer my friend Julie uh, was producing. And and we were uh, working on this one song, and we went in the studio, went to the control room after, and and I just looked and I'm like, you guys, this, this song doesn't need drums. Like, it just doesn't need drums, right. you know? And and uh, they were just like, like, yeah. You know, like, there's no ego here. Like, I don't need to play, you know? Yeah. It's like... I think that's important to know when you shouldn't, when mm-hmm. you're not going to play, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, I think, all, I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting journey, you know, playing music and, and, and connecting with people and just seeing, seeing how that is and what works. And, but the other side of that is like be willing to push yourself, mm-hmm. you know, because I want to make things work. It doesn't mean just because right off the bat, something's not working that you give up. Right. You know, right. Like, for example, I remember this band that I've been in for a long time with Nels Klein called the Nels Klein Singers. We were on a gig once and this thing happened musically with me and when Devin Hoff was a bass player. This thing happened. And at the end of the night, after the gig was over, Nels, we were like backstage or something. Nels was like, man, that thing finally happened that I was hoping would happen for a long time. And 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 it was cool to hear him say that he knew eventually that we would get to something, right. whatever the idea was. And like, you know, it's, it's like any situation when you find people that you connect with, you know, it's going to be great and hopefully it'll get better and it'll evolve, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but just having those initial connections and, um, and, you know, constantly working. It's like as much as you find, like, you know, like you were saying these things you don't like, or there's things that just, I'm, you know, I don't like doing either. Like maybe down the line, I'll be like, you know, I'm going to work on that because right. I've all of a sudden it clicks with you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's so much to learn and so much to do. And but I think, you know, you're where you're at, your interests and just just have to go for that. You know, listen mm-hmm. to your voice inside. Yeah. You, know? you said that the main goal for you is to be playing as musically as possible. Yes. I think that is such. Well, first of all, I think it's a, the best way to approach it, but it's such an intangible. It's such a hard thing, especially as a younger player. Mm-hmm. When you're like, "No, I'm I'm playing like all this yeah. really hip stuff, and I'm playing really musical," mm-hmm. and then somebody taps you on your shoulder and says, "It's not, it's not happening." You yeah. know, it's not as musical as you think it is. Yeah. You're actually sort of, uh, you know, overstepping your boundaries and a, yeah. a little bit, and not playing super musical and it's 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 a tough thing because you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. but how do you how do you get closer to that faster faster well what my students what i tell them like and i become a broken record and i tell them that too i'm like you're going to hear this a lot every single thing that I, that we talk about i relate it back to music everything mm-hmm. from the simplest exercises on the drum pad to like you know how you're holding the sticks 
to like, you know, there's there's literally this one exercise I have them do where it's if they want to learn this certain technique thing, this French grip thing, I show them this one kind of weird exercise. I'm like, look, this is probably the only thing we're going to talk about, which isn't as connected to the music. And it's more about your mind and getting understanding technique. Mm -hmm. But. But is this the Weckle thing? This is this French grip thing, yeah, that I learned from him, this weird exercise, you know? Okay. But But I'm like, but ultimately, the way it's connected to music is you being able to do this technique correctly so you don't have to think about it so you can play music. Right. Because the whole idea is to be, to just be able to, my, for me, personally, is to be able to, when I sit down, whether I'm playing by myself or I'm playing with people, is to be as as immersed in the music as I can. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means playing a ton of notes. That means making a lot of sound. Because I also think about it that way. About a lot of sound. Or it's playing very little. Mm -hmm. Or laying out. But I'm just always trying to to think about what the music needs. And but that and that becomes a personal thing, you know, because sometimes when I hear some musicians play who doesn't even have to be a drummer it's like I'm just not necessarily connecting with their music, their version, right. of, their version of music, because it is. It's our version of music, sure. you know. And then, and then sometimes, you know, and I'll hear. But then sometimes I'll hear something where there's like, you know, like a lot of interaction, a lot of notes, a lot of technique, and I'll be like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I get why that's sure. like that. You know, so it's like your personal. Your it's it's all so subjective, right? You know. More with Scott in a minute, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. For over two years, DW Drums has been supporting this podcast, and this podcast would not be possible without them. And you can learn about all of their great products by going to dwdrums.com, but you can also visit their factory. If you are in the LA area, you should go to Oxnard. It's about 45 minutes north of Los Angeles, and you can schedule a tour. You can go around. You can see how they make these drums right here in California. Learn more by going to dwdrums.com. One of the most frustrating things is having bad technique, and you can tackle your technique hangups by having experts address topics like grip, independence, coordination, mobility, and creativity. Now, the drum technique courses offered by the drum program at Musicians Institute will set you on the right path for growth. You can learn more about these great programs by going to mi.edu. Now, more with Scott Amendola. I don't talk a lot about technique on the on the podcast, uh -huh. but concepts I love getting into because it's such an intangible. Um, but so something as basic as like a paradiddle, mm -hmm. right? If I said, "All right, I got to learn," I got, I've never played a paradiddle in my life, and I need to learn it. Right. Uh, but I start playing it, and I'm like, it just sounds like clicks. You know, that's uh -huh. all it sounds. It's not musical right, at all. Right. How would you How would you get the person? to start hearing it more musically and how can they apply that to other things that they're practicing like technique wise or, uh -huh. or anything that they're trying to learn? Well, it's just how you think about it. I, I don't really think about like working on rudiments and stuff, for example, is really important in terms of, uh, learning, you know, like what Sonny Igo said to me years ago was like, look, there's singles, there's doubles, there's roughs, uh, and there's, you know, flams, you know, Right. It's like, and in a way, that's it. That's kind of it. You know? And buzzes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Buzzes. And it's really true. So if you think of it that way, and you think about working on paradiddles and all these rudiments in terms of combinations, and, but then, um, I mean, I'm gonna, there's the parallel I'm going to draw is like meeting Charlie Drayton, 
you know, Charlie Drayton. Mm-hmm. When I was in Berkeley, I was, he was there in town with Hiram Bullock, and this is like, you know, 86 or something, and we ran to him in a convenience store across the street. It's like, here's Charlie Drayton. He's like, yeah. He goes, because you go there, pointing to Berkeley. I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like, man, as soon as you're done, forget about what you learned and play music, you know? Yeah. And that, and I, fortunately, we're, we've become friends on Facebook, and I was able to say, man, you told me something that was so important at the time. And, you know, and he laughed, and he was like, he's like, I said that? I was like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, no. It, you have these monumental moments you know, that someone, you know, so, that you have with someone, and then you tell them about them, and they're like, yeah, oh, I don't even remember. Yeah, you're like, like oh, man. Man. You know, but, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, again, it's like the way the way that you take technique and, and wrap it in music and, and just just folding it to music is by practicing those things and really just forgetting about it and um, being able to just let your let your ears take over, mm-hmm. you know, and let your body take over. But at the same time, I feel like my ears have informed me a lot more. Because I practiced a lot. I mean, I used, I did. When I was in college, I'd spend 12 hours a day practicing for the first couple of years. Yeah. And then I couldn't spend 12 hours a day practicing because I was like playing with people or doing recording sessions or gigging or whatever, you know. But I would still practice as much as I could. And, um, but that's the, to, for me, that's the goal. Learning, um, learning things so that you can hopefully learn how to hear and hopefully trust yourself that when all of a sudden an idea comes in, you can just try to execute it. And I say try to execute it because sometimes you're going to fail. Right. And I mean, I fail all the time. But the learning learning about when an, an idea is not, you're not executing it properly and all of a sudden you just have to, you know, come up with something to, to save the moment. <laughs> right. That's exciting. I mean, as someone who improvises a lot, you know, that's a big part of what I do. Um, but just going a little bit into technique, um, the, the, to me, the important part of technique is that it is a vehicle. It is, it is a way to express, a way to learn, a, a specific way to learn how to express yourself musically. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell my students. Like, look, um, and there's obviously more than one way to, to do it. There's and finding the right way for you. It's this whole thing about about it being about your own voice and about your own way of doing things. And and I really try to help students find that because I play the way I play is my left palm down, my right thumb up. Mm-hmm. It's like French and German. I call it Italian grip. <laughs> <laughs> I like. So, I, wanna, you know I gotta. I gotta learn it because that's all I'm gonna play. You know. So and it just what it's what works for me and and you know. So, you know, I remember I've had students that are like, "Huh, that's weird. You're doing two different things." I'm like, "Well, wait a minute. If you're playing traditional grip, you're doing two different things." Yeah. And and you know, this is just what worked. Like when I, because my right hand always felt weird, but I know that I used to always put my thumb up when I played on the ride cymbal. Right. But oh, know, I always yeah. But no one talks about that. Like no one talks about like even and here's 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 the thing that that I find interesting is that. When when you're practicing, like you, you you have your thumb up, right? So you're practicing this technique, but when you're on the pad, you probably have your palm down, right? Yeah. So of so you can say that you're practicing this, but are you actually really in tune with what that hand's doing when you're playing around? Never thought of that. See, and it's really interesting. And even when I like, I don't know how. You, well, if you're playing, if you're playing French all the time, mm-hmm. but for me, as I move around the kit, my palm opens up. Uh-huh. So if I'm like. I mean, I only have a four piece normally, but if I'm playing, if, if I have three toms mm-hmm. and I'm playing on the second tom and I'm trying to do something, I'm, I'm actually, I'm thinking of this as yeah, you're explaining yeah, sure. it. So if I'm trying to, you know, 
whatever it is. Let's just we'll, we'll stick with paradiddle. If I'm trying to play a paradiddle between my right hand and my left hand, how much have I practiced playing a paradiddle in French? Right, exactly. You know what I mean? And then you're like, oh man, it's it's not happening because uh-huh. my because I'm not. You're not. Yeah, and and the, and here's the thing, because I, I you just listen to my my brain. Thing. No, I love it. No, I love it because actually I really really love talking about technique. Right. Because I, I, I find it fascinating and I find it like a way. Like I've just had so many people come to me, and we're just like, whoa, you know, like wait a and minute. And to be clear, the reason why I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, not because I don't think it's important, not mm-hmm. because I don't enjoy talking sure. about it. I think that there are so many people who talk about it really well, uh-huh. and so if. I, don't, I just didn't want to be another guy no, out no, there no. always talking sure. about it, but uh-huh. we're going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be great. Good. Because the, yeah, I'm not against talking uh, about no, it by no. any means. I just, I, I, I never wanted the, the podcast to always just be about right. like technique and, and sure. I like talking about or getting into more of like, you know, the, the conceptual things and, and mm-hmm. approaches and things like that, because I don't think it's talked about it. Right. Enough. But here's um, the, but we can, let's tie the conceptual into technique because it's like important it. I like because it. like, uh, you know, like I said, there's there's no one way to play the drums, mm-hmm. but if you and but this is the whole organic thing. Like when and I heard uh, Ed Sof was also I took a lesson with him once. You know, yeah. Ed Sof. Oh yeah, I had him and on the podcast. Sh- showed me the the, the Mueller technique, and he said something to me that was just like I mean, in a way, like mind blowing. He's like, well, your body, your hands, your body informs you. Like your hands are going to fall a certain way. You need to you need to recognize that you need to sort of uh, get in touch with like why are your hands doing that? You know. So I've that's so. And it's not like we can't learn. We can learn anything, you know. Um, If you think about, like, you know, Todd Zuckerman, Mm -hmm. you know, he, because he plays traditional, he plays matched, and he's someone who's just, like, kind of mind-blowing with the technique and what he does in the kit. And so, yeah, you don't have to play one way. You do not have to play one way. You know, my whole thing conceptually is be in touch with what your body's doing and then work with it. So for you, if you're if you start out when you're playing a fill and you're on your snare drum and you're doing palm down and then as your hand moves around it goes palm up, I mean goes thumb up, you know, start practicing exercises with your thumb up. Yeah. And then, you know, do you don't have to do it on the third tom, whatever, but just start like, you know, addressing that and seeing how that feels and 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 just be aware of it because then you'll be able to develop that more. And you won't feel you know, it's like you won't feel stuck. And you won't feel like the music is suffering. Mm-hmm. Back to the music. Yeah. Always for me. It's like, you know, uh, so when I discovered this with Weckl and I got, I remember on the, in the car ride home, I literally played on my dashboard with my right <laughs> hand, like for I was like an hour and a half. And then I would just do this all the time. I was like, that's it. That's it. I was, right. I really felt like I, you know, discovered something that, and, and I said to myself, all right, I'm going to just, this is another thing I tell my students when, because when they're on the search, I'm like, okay. Well, like at the end of a lesson, like we'll come to a a place where they feel like, all right, this is feeling right. So I say commit to this for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Only do this. Practice slow and just really get your head into it and how it's working. And after that time, see how it feels. And during that process, if it feels totally wrong at some point, then you have to decide if you're going to if you should do something else or if you're going to just stick with it because there's something telling you like no this has got to be right. right i just have to figure it out right you know what i right. mean sure but there's not like you know when you see like jack dejanet you know he used to i, I know now he plays a lot of matched but i think I feel like still, a lot of guys are switching over to match right yeah i think i think i think it's easier on the body and as mm-hmm. you get older and i'm sure there's certain things like i grew up 
playing traditional and there's still there's a few things I like to do traditional and I play brushes traditional mm -hmm. unless I want my chops in my left hand kind of a crap <laughs> so I'll flip it over <laughs> if I'm really you know and it's partially is because you know it feels right into a certain tempo and a certain thing like that swishing with the left hand and I can kind of do it with the palm down but then I'll flip it over if I need to so I work on both mm -hmm. you know you don't have to do one thing it's just being in touch with it under you know figuring out like oh I, I do this you know right I think sometimes that we think, um, and this is what I say to my students all the time, and I talk about it when I do workshops, it's like, sometimes we think that when we're thinking too much, we're, we're taking ourselves out of the game, out right. of like that, that thing, that sort of spiritual aspect of playing music. And it's like, you know, you have to think, and, and I think, you have, to, you have to think and come up with a way to play the instrument so you can get deeper into that. You know, right. Right. again, it's a it's a it's a means to the end. And it? I've heard so many people they're like, oh, I don't want to learn rudiments, or I don't want to mm -hmm. learn the, because I don't want I don't I'm a free player, and I don't want to mm -hmm. learn all that technique because it's gonna it's gonna make my you know make me sound less musical. Right. I'm like that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. You know? I just I just I don't I don't see it. And I, and again I've seen I've seen remember this one student who came to me and he was in high school. And and we I showed him the the French grip on the right hand, and he came back the next week and he was just kind of blew my mind. He just, it just he was like you have no idea what this just did for me. Just you know, and he's this is a great drummer. He's like in his twenties now, and he's like playing his butt off, you know. And and it's it's just a matter of like you know that was just a moment for him. Right. And you know sometimes whatever it is, you know, um, yeah, I think it's important, you know. But like you know. Getting back to another thing you said earlier about, you know, not wanting to be like this, you know, super choppy drummer or something like that. There's this one student I have who's he's got a day gig and he's a super great guy and he just loves grooving. Yeah. So he comes over and we talk about because he does want to work on technique and he just wants to play beats, you know, and it's like, hey, man, that's great. <laughs> that's it. And he loves jazz, too. And he just wants to, like, work on some slower jazz. It's like you don't need to be Tony Williams. Yeah. You know, just find your place to make this an enjoyable enjoyable thing you mm -hmm. know like find your and you can there's so much there's an endless amount to learn and places to go yeah but if you just have this one little thing you want to do it's great and I, I think sometimes we make it difficult on ourselves because we try to say well this guy did this so that's the way i have to do it yeah. or like you know there's not one path that you have to take it no. has it can be yeah i remember talking to uh gerald haywood and he was saying you know some people go and play in venues with thirty thousand people and some people go and play in front of 200 people mm -hmm. and he's like both are cool yeah you know and like some people are made to do this and some people are made to do this but there's not there's not this thing of well I, if i don't do this thing then i'm i'm not successful right. or i'm not a i'm not a professional drummer or i'm not a you know i'm i'm not a let's just call it like a good drummer or whatever right you know, right whatever yeah. you want to yeah. call it um and and also what i'm hearing you say is that you don't have to play a particular way but you do have to figure out the best way for you to play for your body to play yeah i, th I think if you can i think if, if i think it's a or you should i think yeah. i think yeah i mean i think it's a it's a i think it helps figuring out what works what mm -hmm. works for you what works for individual you know individual person right because we're, we're really we all have something a different relationship with the drums and and which is what makes it you know, interesting to hear different people play and just be yourself. Figure mm -hmm. out what that is, and figure figure out technically, and musically. You know, yeah. 
And what you're saying about, like, you know, I'm someone that's, I'll play with Mike Patton in front of, like, 30,000 people, and then I'll play a gig and there'll be, like, 10 people. And it's like, hey, I'm still playing music. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. It's just part of the whole deal. You know that's, what I mean? That's it. It's, it's, I love it all, you know? I think there's a misconception, too, that the, the guys who are, you know, playing in front of 30,000 people all the time aren't doing those other gigs. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and even the guys who used to not sure are now. Yeah, you know? it's yes, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to survive as yeah. a musician. It's a tough business. You know, yeah. um, speaking of surviving as a musician, you coming here, uh, you came to San Francisco. How old were you when you came here? Uh, twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. So you're young when you got here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was what was the approach of getting out there, just connecting with people. Did you already have sort of a network out here? What what prompted the move out here? I know we're bouncing around a little mm-hmm. bit, That's but okay. I want to no tie this into, you know, the cats that you're playing with sure, now and all sure. that. You know, I grew I grew up on the East Coast. I went to, went to Berkeley mm-hmm. and um, I had a girlfriend at the time in 91 that wanted to move here and study at SF State. So I came and visited here with her. But Prior to that, I think the summer before that, you know Kenny Wallison, drummer? He plays Name with John Zorn familiar. and Bill Fussell. I don't know him personally, but... And the bass player, Larry Grenadier, they were... Larry plays with uh, Brad Meldow mm. and, and other people. They were visiting... They spent a, a month or so in Boston, and I got to meet them and hang out with them and uh, through this friend, John. And um, so they were telling me a lot about um, San Francisco and stuff like that. And uh, But I came and visited here with my this girlfriend at the time, and... And I was like, wow, this is a really cool place. But so we went back. We found her a place to live. And then she moved out here. And then I went back to New York just because I felt like, and I told her, I'm like, I need to go and make sure I don't want to be in New York. Right. You know, before I move out there. Like, sure. I really need to just make sure that's, and she was like, that's cool. I get it. So. Um, yeah. And especially like you compare the two. Yeah. You know, I mean, Oakland had its, Oakland had its thing, you know. Well, the thing is back then. So, so, I, so I went, I, you know, was in New York and I was playing and stuff and it was cool, but I just, I grew up there and it was great, but I just wanted something different. And I just, so I decided in the, or like April of 93 to move here or 92 to move here. So um, I did. And at the time there was, tons of live music and um you know after about three months of being here i started gigging with all kinds of people and um and there was i was delivering bread i got a job delivering bread because i needed like i was trying to find a job that, the bread <laughs> exactly where like i could have my days free so if i wanted to practice or rehearse and then have a you know and then gig at night so i found this i just found this gig and this job and it was it was great but it was kind of a butt kicker because I literally, the guy, it was this new bakery and the guy's like, I need you every day. I'm like, what do you mean? Seven days a week. I was like, okay. Because, you know, I had to pay the rent. Yeah. I like, ran out of money. I was like, okay. So um, so I was delivering bread for the first year and a half for about the first 10 weeks every day. Right. You know, and then I started gigging and rehearsing and, and, and then that went off for about a year and a half. And I mean, it was exhausting because... I was, you know, having to get up at six in the morning, and some of the gigs were going to two in the morning. Yeah. And I was rehearsing, and but the, the other cool you thing you can do was, that at that age, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> your early twenties, you know, but it was also free bread, so it was like, <laughs> you know. Um, but then I met, um, and there was the, also the record industry was like had their eyes here, mm-hmm. you know. And there was all kinds of work, and I met Charlie Hunter, and I'd heard his name. Um, a lot of people were talking about Charlie, and um, and then this one morning he called me. And he, I played a jam session. So this kind of, you're asking about, you know, how do you meet people? And 
back then, and I still think today there are there are jam sessions, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was this really cool jam session at this club called the Up and Down Club, and this piano player, Dred Scott, he was leading it. It was called the Woodshed. And I remember the first time I think I went, I don't think I played, I just sort of observed. And um, the deal was that you had to either bring in a song, like something you wrote, or have like an interesting arrangement of a tune. It wasn't just playing like, you know, Stella by Starlight, Mm -hmm. you know, and just having like 20 horn players line up. Like they really wanted something really interesting and creative. And I remember that was pretty cool. So I remember first time I sat in, I called some tune and monk tune and I was like well, let's do it kind of like this and you know and it was super fun and Kenny Brooks was there the saxophone player so and I think I gave him my number and uh, I met Josh Jones and obviously Dredd and a bunch of other people and then Charlie called me this one morning and said hey I got your number from Kenny Kenny Brooks who heard you at this jam session and Jay Lane who played in Charlie's band also played in a band called Alphabet Soup mm-hmm. and um, he Jay was a bit notorious for double booking himself. So he was supposed to play with Charlie at this club and then play with Alphabet Soup. And so Charlie's like, hey, can you play? I'm like, yeah. I said, yes, even though I had a gig with this friend of mine, which was the kind of gig I could get out of. And he right. was very understanding. Because and you wanted to, you wanted to connect play with, with Charlie. Charlie. Right. And I told him, and he's like, well, just get me somebody good. And back then there were just like lots of people. And right. So I got I got him a drummer. And then and I went and played with Charlie. And essentially that was life-changing because we played and it was like immediately this connection we had was great. And I mean, you know, still playing with him today. Right. This is, you know, 24 year la- years mm-hmm. later. And um, so... I mean, going to jam sessions and meeting people and, you know, I mean, networking is important. I mean, it's all tied into like with with Charlie, there was something there, you right. know, and also in the audience was Will Bernard and this guy named Bruce Buchanan and Jay actually was like on break or something and he was there. He heard like part of our set, mm-hmm. you know, and these are people, there was a scene here that I just became a part of, right? you know, and um, especially after that gig because Charlie's shows were all super packed, mm-hmm. you know, and people, you know, just regular, just people hanging out and lots of musicians would go. And, um, and I think Avi Bortnick was there too. Avi plays rhythm guitar in John Schofield's Uber oh, Jam okay. band. So then Avi called me to be in this band called The Dry Look, <laughs> <laughs> which is this super fun, like soul funk boogaloo band. And I played with Avi a lot. And, um, you know, so I all of a sudden I started gigging with all these really great musicians, and um, and then I met John Shot. Actually, I'd met John a little bit before that, maybe on a gig, and um, yeah. So you know, these that just started a lot of stuff mm-hmm. for me um, here. You right, know. right. So what's the difference between playing with you know doing like the the duo with Will Blades versus playing with John Schofield or playing with a bigger band? Because there's, you know, in a in a trio, I've never done a duo, but in mm-hmm. a trio, there's nowhere to hide. Yep. In a duo, there's yeah. really nowhere there's to really hide. There's really nowhere to hide, yeah. And yeah. so, and if you're playing with four, five, six, seven people, then, you know, you're, I'm guessing your approach changes, your parts change, your mm-hmm. sonic choices change. Um, so what, what's your approach to that? Like working with, work, working with a duo versus working with a bigger band? I mean, you know, it just from a conceptual standpoint, yeah, duo is like, there's just, yeah, there's no place to hide, but it also depends on the duo. Like with Will, um, I mean, Will and Charlie, we've, I have a duo with Charlie too. Yeah, right. So, you know, and, and, and that's, it has to be a little bit more difficult just because it's a guitar player. 
right? just because guitar players are difficult. <laughs> Not what I was saying, but, I know, yeah. but yes. Um, well, you know, it's just like sonically, it has because mm-hmm. you have to make up a lot more. Well, right? but that's how that's that's see that's the thing. Um, it even though there's less people, it doesn't mean you have to play more notes. You know what I mean? I, well, and I know that's not. I know, like the. Part, I was saying the difference between between playing with Charlie versus and playing Will, with Will. Right, right. It, and I, I, what I was thinking sonically, just more of like tonal versus tonal, right. note wise. Note wise, yeah, because well, the organ kind of sonically is somewhat bigger sounding and right. can cover more territory. But I think with both of them, it's the same thing of like, you know, how they they approach music and how I fit in. Um, with Charlie, um, you know, we've been playing together for so long. And when we started playing, after we did that gig, we started doing a series of duo gigs together. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a minute to sort of figure out that, yeah, I didn't have to like cover every space and everything. But it's again, it's like serving the music. Um, and not overstepping your bounds musically. So, because Will, like, when, when both of those duos play, like, you you know, how much can an audience take of just two people? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So you have to think that way. And just throwing, you know, with, with Charlie, his approach to music is really coming from the blues and from the, from soul, old soul music and old jazz, you mm-hmm. know. So and like tempo wise, like we tend to do a lot of slower things. So we'll play ballads and stuff, but they're both really melodic. Charlie's really melodic. He's really coming from from that place, um, and he writes interesting tunes, you know. So my approach is it's it's the same, but I get you know there's more solo space, you know. Um, in both situations, but also the cool thing is that I do get to take to to take over more territory. Right, I can play more notes, so it opens up this world of, um, you know, whether it's uh, you know comping is a different way and playing a little bit more. Um, but the challenge is making sure again what I'm doing is musical and and fitting it. But and, and I think. Because people are always like, man, it sounds like more than two people, right. you know, and but it's always in a positive way of not like, oh, you're burying the other guy, you know, sure. like neither one of us feel that way. And with Charlie and I, we both write songs that have a real purpose. They have a real and same with Will, like like there's there's a real vibe to them. And that can cha- like, you know, we can change. We're improvisers. So we'll change certain aspects of it as you know, through through playing a, a song mm-hmm. differently. And um, so, I mean, I think the possibilities are endless on one hand. On the other hand, when you're serving a song, you might find something that works and stick to it. And I don't really get bored. Like, right. as long as the other person is really there and you're really engaging, like, you know, um, it's still exciting for me. But, um, but we, you know, one of us might take a left turn on a, on a song. You know, and that's what really makes it interesting. Um, I toured with this guy, Kelly Joe Phelps, for a little bit. And he, Kelly, plays guitar. He was at the time playing like an acoustic picking guitar. And he was known for slide playing, but he sort of dropped the slide. He was like, I'm going to, you know. Right. So it was me and him and a, and a bass player. And when he was singing and, you know, and playing guitar. And it was the, one, the first time I played with the singer where 
he would change things up all the time on these songs. And it was... it Vocally? Or, yeah, yeah. Like his phrasing would change. Right. Some tempos would shift a little bit. He would never write a set list. He would never tell us what song we were going to play. But we had we knew all the songs. Yeah. He never threw something completely out at us that we had never rehearsed right. or played. But it was really interesting to take... to in to do that play with a vocalist who he was a, used to be a, a fretless electric bass jazz player mm. so he was an improviser you know um and that and probably had decent phrasing incredible yeah. phrasing like i mean he had me in tears every night pretty much like just with the songs he wrote the you know he really he really meant everything he said you know right so um so that so that really was informative to me in terms of playing songs and then going back and playing instrumental music and thinking of it more that way, like Mm -hmm. songs and really trying to honor the songs, but also when things are changing, I don't know, there was something about that, that, that sort of shifted for me. Um, But, you know, in the duo setting, uh, it could, it also the mood in the moment, if I just feel like not playing a lot and I have to play a lot and we'll still, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to lay in this groove and hopefully the groove feels good. And then, gets people going you know and i guess i guess there's a security in not having to play a lot which is tricky for us it's like i don't know if you've ever played solo but i've done some solo things Mm-mm. and the first time i did that i don't think anybody wants to see me sit around <laughs> <my job sir. laughs> you know you never know man it's like you know it's it's intimidating right yeah, yeah it's really you take, you take that other person you know so i, I think I, it's it's i think it's intimidating like when you walk in I, this it may be even more intimidating when you walk into a room and they're like, "Oh, you play drums? Yeah." And there's like a drum set there, and they're oh, like, "Go God. play something." Oh God, that's yeah. It's I'm like, like, I have no, I, yeah, I have yeah, no idea. Yeah. At least if you're playing in front of people, you can sort of, you know, right, right. rehearse what you're going to play. Well, the, th- the first time I did it was at, at Fresno State, part of this percussion day, and I'd written out this little like outline of what I wanted to do, and knowing that maybe I was going to, you know, get are away you, from it. Let, sorry to interrupt you, but are you talking? have like the performance by yourself or are you saying like a clinic by well yourself? here's the thing because it was a clinic but my approach to clinics is that i i like if no matter how much time i have i take half the time if it's an hour and a half i will improvise for 45 minutes really so i can i i in one shot i yeah i approach it as a performance yeah so I have, you know, okay. I do this like electronic thing where I have this pedal board, I have an Embira, yeah, and yeah. I have a, also have a melodica. So I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring my world to this thing. I'm, it's like, hey, I'm gonna be me, like you know. Yeah. So the first time I did it was in Fresno, and I think it was 90 minutes or something. And um, so I had written out this outline of of what I kind of wanted to do as a sort of guide, and I sit down and I sit behind the drums, and there's like 200 people there, and I'm about to play, and I realized I left it backstage. And I could have gotten up and gotten it, in a way, but I was just like, it's a sign, just got to go for it, you know really? what I mean? And um, so it was, it was. Fr- <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, it was a bit frightening, you know? But after a few minutes, like, I got comfortable, and I just just sort of went off on this thing and just started playing and and just trying to just play music and and express myself as just one person playing music and and it was fun it was hard it was fun it was uh informative you know and i think it went to some cool places and uh and i think it was also different than what a lot of people have heard i was right. like making loops and and then just you know taking it wherever i wanted to take it and after i played there were just a lot of really good questions about what i did and 
and we talked about music and stuff. And um, but that is the hardest thing when there's nobody there. Yeah. And you know, with any instrument, it's hard playing solo. But um, but I like it. And I want to do more of it. I want to sort of get more comfortable with it. And you know, there's there's that because the we're just talking about space and being by yourself. Like there's this Joey Barron's a great example of if you ever listen to him play solo, like he can just play a buzz roll on the snare drum and it just you feel something as a yeah. listener you're in the room and just you know it's, it's there's there's power in just not having to say a lot mm-hmm. and um, I think in the duo context it's it's remembering that but the cool thing is with with Charlie and Will is that they're both coming from that place right you know. Um, they're both extremely musical and and really want to serve a song and um, uh, so if that's the goal and if you know some nights are going to be better than other nights you of know course. you have to give that yeah you have to give into that no matter mm-hmm. you know then I play with Mike Pat in this band that's like thirty five people and it's a whole other thing you yeah. know like your your role is totally critical doesn't mean you get to lay back, but and especially with Mike, because he loves drummers, and he's in front of me, and he's turning around, and he's giving me signals, like you know, like he'll he'll want the music to go to different places in right. a, in a different kind of way, you know. So I have to be really on my toes mm-hmm. for that too, you know. But that's equally as exciting to me. There's something about how you had mentioned when you were doing the solo thing about having it get to some place or having it go to different places, mm-hmm. and there's. I think there's a challenge in even that of just allowing yourself to go to those places without, you know, having this contrived approach or without saying, you know, getting into this thing and being and really thinking about it too mm-hmm. deeply to where you're not allowing yourself to sort of open up and get there. And I think we've all had those musical experiences where it's like it's like lightning in a bottle, you know, and you it's just like magical. Yeah. And getting there, I think. The the more often you can get there, the better, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there, or I mean, is there things that you that you do to get try to get there? I mean, is it? Yeah. I mean, this is getting really. No, like, no, no. It's it's really interesting. I mean, to talk about because I think, you know, I think the things. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we develop these relationships with other people, like we're talking about, you know, when I play with certain people, um, there's there's a feeling you get when you play. And um, when it really gets off the charts, and so much turns into like this out of body. Absolutely, experience. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, with everybody I've played with that I feel really close to, I've definitely gone there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and I think it has to do with, um, I think it just has to do with letting yourself go. I mean, and how do you let yourself go? You know, I think you got to figure that out what that means for you mm-hmm. um, and the element of trust I think that, you're, that you have with the guys on stage trust is such a key thing um, you know and but but there's another element which is like you know like if you know the the, the, the extra you know you could call it the extra band member when you're in a room with an audience that is so wrapped into what you're doing and you can tap into that too and the whole band does mm-hmm. like that's when it goes places that you just can't possibly imagine and I've I just one one instance that comes to mind is when the Nels Klein singers played the chapel in San Francisco a few years ago um, it was this we did this tour and it was the first tour with this with Ciro Baptista playing mm-hmm. percussion and and the tour was incredible we played in San Francisco which was the last show like this audience was it was like 
they were so there in a way that I mean it was it was profound where the music went and how everybody felt after the show and we were all all of us and I think the audience felt the same way just I mean I heard for weeks after for months after people talked about this show um, and um, you know the other shows were great too right but there was just something that night that mm-hmm. just everybody tapped into you know it's like playing with Mike Patton in Chile you know we played these audiences there so they can't wait for us to be there and what they give back to you is unbelievable. And when you're ready to receive that and just let that go, like, I mean, again, you're just, it is, it's incredibly spiritual and, and heavy and just otherworldly. And you just, you, you know, maybe you're not even playing anything special. Right. You know, you're not playing any, you know, in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever that means, you know, just playing a groove or playing, you know, it's so beyond that. So, so letting yourself go to places to me, can can just be like, if you're feeling something, just do it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's hard because sometimes it's not going to work. <laughs> it just isn't. You know? Or you may have that night and then the next night you try to replicate it. Yeah. And you're forcing and you're like, come on, let's get this yeah, thing yeah, happening yeah. again. And it's yeah. just like, man, it's just, it's just not happening. Yeah, yeah. You just, you can't force it. You yeah. know? You can't, can't win them all, right? You can't. But also, it's like getting used to the audience. Like my my band just played. We played in Japan for for three nights, and we did six shows. and And I love going to Japan. Mm-hmm. and And their audiences are really polite, and and they're really focused, and they really appreciate you're there. But it's different. It's a different kind of thing of how they're engaging with you. And I remember after the first show, like you know, you're at a club, you're playing two shows, so they have to clear the house, and you have a certain amount of time, and you know, you want to honor that, and make sure you don't go over. I, I'm really like to respect everybody there and right. make sure that's cool. So we finished and uh, we're walking off and they're clapping and they're clapping and they're clapping and and the woman who was, um, you know, w- with us, she's she's like, can you play another? I'm like, is it okay? You sure? Because, you know, and she's like, no, really, we'd like you to play another. And I said, like, great, you know. Awesome. And so I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. So every night we got an encore because they really wanted it and they, you know, and, and um, it's just the, like, the Japanese audiences at the Cotton Club versus like playing an arena in Chile with Mike Patton are very different, right, you know? Right. But and the Japanese culture is very respectful too. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I would imagine I've never played in Japan, but I would imagine that there is a it it's it probably feels a little and I'm just guessing, but I would imagine it feels a little bit more buttoned up. Mm-hmm. Not because they're not interested, but because right. they're showing you so much respect. Right. Is that is that sort of yeah. what it, what it felt it like? It is, yeah, yeah. It feels like that, you know. And then you know, yeah, it's 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 a trip, you know. How people when they give it back. I played in Western China with uh, there's a friend of mine who lives in in Holland who goes around the world um, with this organization. And he collaborates with local musicians everywhere from like, you know. Um, Iraq, you know, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, mm-hmm. to like, you know, Angola, to like, you know, and he, he was going to Western China, and usually he goes by himself, but they wanted a trio, so he called me to go, and uh, and we went, and it was so fascinating how these people, like, would show their appreciation when they would clap at the oddest times. We'd be playing, because we were playing jazz, and we'd be playing a song in the middle of, like, the, the head of a song, and all of a sudden there would just be this uproar of applause, and we couldn't figure it out. Or in the middle of a solo, you know, or it was it was really, really bizarre. Like, we could not, we could not, we did not understand 
like why at these particular yeah. points moments during the show they would do that and then at the end of the night they'd come up to you and you know they'd just be really thankful and um I mean, these are Uyghur people because mm-hmm. it's Western China, so it's very Arabic. And, right. Um, and we collaborated with these two musicians that um, uh, one of them played this violin he, on his knee called an ejek, and the other guy played a dutar. And the guy that played the, the ejek, the violin type instrument, he sat, we did caravan with him. He was nice. willing. The other guy didn't want to improvise with us. He just wasn't an improviser, and he would sing, and, but we played with them. And they both were fascinated by the fact that we could we could just play with them and come up with things to play their music. They just, like, the uh, idea of improvising like that was just sort of far. It was a little far into them, you know, like to be a jazz musician and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole thing was fascinating in terms of like, you know, they were so, they, I mean, curiosity is, is a really amazing thing. And yeah. these people were so curious and so sincerely appreciative, you know, that you were there in, in their place and just, you know, they could tell that you were you really meant everything, right. you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely. I mean, you can even feel it state to state in, in the United States, but yeah. you know. But then, like going overseas and playing, or you know, experiencing mm-hmm. all these different cultures, it's interesting to see not only the styles of music that people enjoy, but sort of like you're saying, the way that they interact mm-hmm. and and you know the way that they're that they're responding in front of you know mm-hmm. in a crowd sense and stuff like yeah. that. It's really it's fascinating. It's just. The power of music, but everybody speaks it. You know, everybody speaks that yeah. language, but it's everyone responds to it and reacts to it. Differently. Yeah, and I don't want to put down like American audiences or any audiences because yeah. there are amazing audiences. I've played amazing shows here where, you know, like I said, that show at the chapel in San Francisco was just like one of the greatest ever, right. you know. And yeah, I mean, I've played shows when there's been very few people at the show and you felt that too, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. They're usually the best when there's three people in the audience and you're and like, you're just like yeah, yeah. Play my ass off. <laughs> No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, what, so what are, what's some of the stuff that you have going on now? Uh, I know you you mentioned you just got back from Japan. Um, so, what's on what's sort of on the books and on the horizon? Uh, Will I Blades. know that you have the, the studio stuff that you want to work on as well, but yeah, yeah, I'm trying to trying to get that. If you need drum tracks, call <laughs> me up. You know, I'm trying to like work on that. And um, but in terms of like uh, performing and writing music, like Will Blades and I are playing a bunch of shows and trying to tour more and Charlie Hunter I'll be doing more with him um, Nels Klein and I we've been playing music together since the 90s we're gonna do a little duo playing next year talk about like a different kind of duo yeah a, an opportunity came up um, was this guy kept bugging me this club and and then and Nels's schedule opened up so um, so we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of shows and hopefully record like uh, that too, and that'll be really interesting because you know it'll be just guitar and his world and my world. Um, I'm looking forward to that. And the Nels Klein singers will hopefully is Nels wants to record that. Um, I want to start writing some more music for my band, which mm-hmm. um, just was in Japan, and um, yeah, you know just. And actually, the solo sort of thing. I want to actually work on that more. Um, That'd be inter- I'd be interested to see some of that stuff. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't be interested in the other I know, stuff. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. I know, but it's like the idea of just like, you know... Uh, like just because of, I think it's so scary. It is. You know, in, in a good way, but it's just like, you're, mm-hmm. there's no there's no safety net. It's just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, you know, what the way I'm, I'm gonna approach, approaching it is... I. You know, take, putting other instruments I play into it, like I play the thumb piano and and the and the melodica, and I play a little bass, a little bit guitar. But I also have over 
I've collected a bunch of samples of things like loops I've made and have this little chaos pad and taking like finding some of those and maybe starting to create some things around those, you know, Mm -hmm. like I really want to have this wide, um, you know, I'm just really open to figuring out how to uh, create something like that with, you know, all, all different sonic elements, you know, sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to take a minute because Pro Tools is still figuring it out. You and me both. <laughs> and, and even with the podcast, I started editing it and I was like, I can't do this. Uh, I was like, that. so I have a guy who edits it. Thank you, Justin. I love you. Because <laughs> everyone's like, your podcast sounds so great. And I'm like, it's not me doing it. <laughs> like, I just recorded and sent it to him. And go. a lot of times I'm like, hey, Justin, sorry, it sounds like crap. Uh, could you? And he's like, "Don't worry, I'll fix it." And I sent it back to me. It sounds, you know, amazing. But awesome. Um, so, but you also you mentioned you teach too. Do you? Do you I do. Do you teach just in person, or do you do Skype lessons as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I teach here. I teach you know Skype, FaceTime, whatever. Okay. Um, yeah, and I teach drummers, but I also like to work with. I've worked with like right now. I've, I had a bass player student through Cal for the last year, which has been really fun. Just talking about grooves and time and rhythm and mm-hmm. th- that relationship. Or guitar players I've worked with. I mean, you know. It's interesting to work with all kinds of instrumentalists because the relationship that we have is important and just to talk about different things. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm going to teach a lesson tomorrow with a, a, a guy I met in Mexico. Oh, I'm going to cool. do a Skype lesson, you know, tomorrow. Cool. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoy teaching. I mean, I have this – I'd like to write a book about my approach to drumming um, if books are still viable, <laughs> you, know, you know what yeah. I mean? But, but, um, but I'd like to somehow, um, because uh, you know, the amount of teaching I've done in the last while, you know, you learn more about how sure. to articulate what you do. And, and I've, I find it really interesting and I don't know, I think I have a kind of unique perspective on it. And, um, and I just like, I just, I love that. I just love connecting with, with other musicians and talking about stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm gonna study with you. Okay. Uh, right on, man. I mean, if you're open to it, yeah, totally, I'm gonna, absolutely. I'm gonna come up. Yeah, okay. I would love to do that. That'd be fantastic. 100%. I'd love that. Yeah. So, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out? They want to set up some lessons. And uh, all that probably stuff? my website. Okay. Right now, which I mean, it's uh, just scottamadol.com, and uh, there or on Facebook. You know, I'm I respond to messages and things like that. Okay, and so, I'll I'll link to all this stuff mm-hmm. like in the show notes section, so it'll be Great. all linked up for your Facebook and all your social media channels, ways to get in touch with you, all that fun Excellent. stuff. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. We'll put some pictures. I'll take some pictures of of, uh, of you in the studio. And we'll oh, put great. Them up there as well, so people can check it out. Thanks, man. Cool, man. But Scott, thank you for for doing this. I do appreciate it, man. It's great. Thank I've, you. I've been listening to you for so many years, and I've actually I saw you play in Philly with Charlie Hunter. Man, it had to be. 15 years ago. Was it the Tin Angel, maybe? No, it was at World Cafe. Oh, World Cafe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Actually, my buddy uh, did a bunch of photography, too. I, I, I should reach out to him and oh, get wow. some of the pictures. Cool. And check them out. I mean, uh, yeah. I think it was like 10, 12, 14 years ago, something like that. It was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. It was a while ago. But anyway, I've been listening to your playing for oh, a very man. long time, so it's great to finally meet you in person, chat drums, chat music, and I do appreciate it. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it a lot. Anytime, man. Anytime. <laughs> cool. Very good.
There you have it, the one and only Scott Amendola. I hope you dug that. And for all the links and notes to everything that we talk about, of course, you know, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 276. Also, if you dig the podcast, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes. That helps everyone find out about the podcast. More people finding out about it means maybe more people will turn into drummers, which would be awesome. So you can do that just by going to iTunes. It'll take about a minute and I'll love you for it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.